0: Welcome to Stand Out From The Crowd, I'm your host, Darin. In a world saturated with information about successful individuals, have you ever wondered about the unique journeys that shaped them? How did they make it happen? I created this podcast with the goal of unraveling the narratives behind some of the most remarkable women leaders and entrepreneurs. The triumphs, the challenges, and the moments that tested that resilience, we cover it all. Don't forget to subscribe to Stand Out From The Crowd and to give us a five-star review because the stories we share on this podcast are worth it. We are worth it. Don't you think so? I hope you do. Tune in every week for compelling conversations that will broaden your perspective, provide you practical tips, and also ignite the spark within you. So stay tuned, stand out, and let's embark on this transformative journey together. Are you ready? Let's go. Your story is quite powerful. Uh, You live in Canada, in Toronto, Canada, but you were born and raised in Albania. You had a beautiful life growing up with your parents until the war started. Can you take us back to your young memories of what it was like to growing up as a child in Albania?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of funny that we're talking about this today because I woke up this morning and I asked, I have the, the paid version of chat and I asked it, I'm like, I always have dreams where I'm always running away because I'm being like threatened, but it's always in my childhood home. And then I like went into the war, like explained that it was the war and it was like, like kind of analyzing my dreams that it's you know it's trauma that's been yet resolved which is weird because as you said like my i i felt like growing up i had like this simple beautiful life which was Um, It was filled with depth, but not with material depth, if that makes sense. Like we had very little. It's post-communism. When I was born in 1992, Albania is very chaotic at this time. Nothing is really structured. And then five years later, that's when the civil war happened due to a Ponzi scheme. And then a year after that, um, there was the genocide in Kosovo. So for me, all of these instances Although at the time never felt impactful because it was just like I was a child, I wasn't really aware of what was going on. As an adult, I think I'm realizing the impact that they had on me that I never realized as a child.
0: Were you aware that you were living and growing in the middle of
1: a war? Honestly, I don't. I don't remember. Like all I knew is that if we heard there was like like a criminal group that went in each city. So different cities had different group, criminal group. The the group that was in our city, they had a motorcycle and they, it made this very specific B sound, like, you know? And because I'm I live in a very small city, I could hear them from the other side of town. So if they were coming in, because I lived beside the police station and they would always drive into the police station to grab arms because the cops had just left the police station and you know there was a lot of arms there we would just know that we'd have to go inside and i'd have to go to the washroom because the washroom had a cement roof while um the rest of the house had like i don't know if it's called shekels so it was just like normal like oh like we're playing outside in the backyard we hear the noise we go to the washroom and we run and hide like it was never like i never really processed what was happening it was just like okay gotta go inside i hear the noise but it was definitely we we ended up moving from the house um when i almost actually died because when they would come to get arms from the station they would kind of drive down the the road and just shoot up in the air because that was a way for them to create terror in the community um but sometimes you know the bullets would just go everywhere so this time around, the bullet came into my home and I wasn't in the washroom. So it came through the rooftop and it hit exactly where I was sitting. But at that moment, that exact moment, my grandma had called and I picked, I got up to pick up the phone oh and God. the bullet hit exactly. So it would have hit me right in the head. So that mm-hmm. evening, my uncle came and we like took the bicycle and we like, re- like we drove through the olive fields in the middle of the night to like get away from my house. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. dreams those are the dreams i always have i'm like running away in the, all the fields from like here mm-hmm. but i net like consciously it i, I don't feel that it affected me it's really weird
0: yeah definitely some trauma to uncover there yeah. and, you know for every <laughs> but for every person i would say and i and i am grateful that this is not something i have experienced but for every person going through such traumatizing experience either being aware of it or not your subconscious ultimately know something and remember something right
1: I mean I've I've been in therapy for six years so I we've dealt a lot with my childhood because obviously there's a lot to uncover but I do wonder if there was something that happened that I can't remember you know or like that I found out that it's still coming because it's a reoccurring feeling and a reoccurring dream I'm almost in my childhood at home like what is what am I like there is definitely something that I have to uncover there.
0: And then your parents decided to move to Canada, definitely yeah. a better place to uh, raise a child. Do you have any memories of you moving to Canada and how was your early years in Canada?
1: Um uh, it was really difficult. <laughs> I'm an only child, so when we moved here, my parent both my parents engineers had to start working in factories and not factories that were, you know, in their profession. It was just like a logistics company and a, a company that made tissues. So they were working 12-hour shifts trying to make ends meet. Um, we grew. Uh, I grew up at Weston and Lawrence, which is a predominantly immigrant neighborhood. Um, definitely not super safe all the time. But yeah, it, it was difficult because I was alone a lot. Like back home in Albania, even though we didn't have much, um, I had my family and I had my friends. So at least I felt like I had a lot. When we moved to Canada, I was alone a lot, so I had to start using my imagination to keep me busy. And that's when I started uh, writing and really getting into arts and creativity because I like had nothing better to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you know, I can, I can relate to that feeling because I was raised by a single mom and she was working 12 hour shift as well. So I was alone a lot. I was eating lunch alone, dinner alone, and then I would wait in, in the evening for my mom to come back uh, from work. And so even though like I didn't develop my creative side or my artistic sides as such, you know, where I found comfort is in dancing. So I I used to dance a lot and then I wanted to become a professional dancer, but this is another life and this is another story. (laughs) But, you know, like I can relate to your story, you know, like wanting to fill that void with something that you can do with your body, with your imagination and so on.
1: Yeah, I think I resented my parents a lot for that period of time because I feel like they like dragged me out of, Uh, the comfort zone that i had and they put me in this area and they they just left me there you know what i mean like it wasn't like and obviously like being eastern european you don't have the conversation of like how are you handling this emotionally yeah it's like you good (laughs) (laughs) you know you
0: live you breathe okay you're alive that's okay that's good that's enough
1: (laughs) so i read but now i understand why they did it and i'm grateful and you know i think wow i can't believe they actually took such a chance for the and like such a risk to come here and go through all of the things that they went through uh, for me, because honestly, they could have been in Albania; and they would have been fine. But I know that it was for me and um, I'm grateful. But I think there was a lot of resentment that came for it because of the loneliness.
0: And you shared the story with me where your parents they would send you still send you to Albania so you keep that connection with your roots. But something that you didn't know back in time is that once they had paid your flight ticket, they they have no money left for them to to spend the summer.
1: Yeah, there's, it's, it's funny. Cause I remember exactly, it was my first time back home since we moved. And I remember exactly what I was wearing when I got on the flight and like how happy I was and like how happy my parents were, but I didn't know that they had a hundred dollars left for the rest of the month. And it was like the beginning of June that I had gone. So they only had a hundred dollars for the rest of the month after they had paid for my ticket and had paid rent, which was, I mean. On top of all the debt that they had that we had to pay from when we came, so I, I mean, I'm like over here living the dream, having my little CD player, trying to show off when I go back. Home. <laughs> so I have no idea what's happening.
0: And and so, would you say that this experience, you know, growing up in Albania and you know moving to Canada and going through the challenges that almost 99.9% of immigrants go through? Would you say that it has forged your drive to becoming the powerful professional and entrepreneur that you are today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think as an immigrant, you always feel like you have something to prove um, or like you have to kind of make your way through um, you have to make your mark. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if this is what every immigrant feels, but you know, I, I've been taught that going to school and working hard is kind of what you're supposed to strive for. Uh, my parents are definitely not big risk takers, even though they moved to Canada, they're not risk takers. So me opening my own business was definitely not something that I learned through them. But it was definitely the hard work ethic and wanting to be great or wanting to be good at what I did that I think that drove me from my background. But I don't know, I think maybe I don't know, I think it's also just who I am as a person, you know, I'm uh, I, I'm very, when I focus on something, it's like very, very detailed and intentional. I I don't like doing things that are not intentional, especially as I get older and have more awareness around the life I'm living.
0: And let's talk about your work ethic because you have quite some accomplishments under your belt, even though you are very modest and humble about it. You were responsible for the well-being of a 10 million dollar asset for WeWork and yeah. then in 2014 you joined the funding team to launch the co-working space east room which is quite popular here in toronto uh, which you helped grow to a multi-million dollar business under two years which is yeah. quite impressive so tell us about your journey like to how did you end up managing multi-million dollars asset
1: for companies by accident <laughs> 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 Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> today um i was on a bus and i met this guy and he was telling me that he was interviewing for this role uh for this company called soho House. and it was this cool company that celebrities went to and blah 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 and i was like i want to interview there <laughs> why not me so i ended up interviewing and working for soho house for two years and that's where i met the founders of eastroom and they hadn't opened eastroom yet but they liked the hospitality and the attention to detail that I gave them and their family so when they were thinking about opening the space they were like hey I think you would be the right person to run it I mean mind you I was 22 at the time so running anything was beyond my scope of (laughs) knowledge Um, but honestly it really gave me a platform where I I could try and like, we had it like, you know, I had a little bit more of support system. I had the founders, I had, you know, I built a team, I, uh, we had a community that we built. So that kind of it, it wasn't just me that uh, accomplished those accolades. But at the same time, it, um, it allowed me to understand that I am capable of building things. And that's why I am in the position I am now is because I got that try. And, you know, once you get that little bit of, I don't know what you call it, but it's almost like entrepreneurship is like almost like an addiction. You know, once you get yeah. a little bit of it, you just can't go back. And I think, you know, I went to work for WeWork um, and ran a, a building for them. And it still it was it felt empty and it felt like I was actually getting um demoted rather than i was going to work for a bigger company because i i wasn't in charge in the way that i wanted to be in terms of like seeing my ideas through if that makes sense
0: yes it does and and you know for all the entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs listening to us jen is true what you're seeing once you have you know tried entrepreneurship you can't go back and i remember you know like having this feeling as well when i was at the Peak of my international career, where I was helping um, high profile people building empires. And at some point, I was like, But if I can build empires for them, why wouldn't I do it for myself? Right. Yeah. Um, of course, the journey is different. And, you know, yeah. being by Very yourself for you, doing it for yourself, it's like a complete entire sto- different yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, you have the drive because you know you are capable of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's
1: exactly it. How do you build a multimillion dollar business under uh, two years? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of culture. And I think that's something that a lot of uh, brands try to accomplish is building community through culture and entertainment. Um, it was by, again, by accident. We, I had a friend who was a musician. And one of the co-founders of Eastroom was like, oh, I really like this guy. And I was like, that guy, let's FaceTime him. Let's see what he's doing. <laughs> and we're like, hey, do you want to perform at Eastroom? And he's like, sure, like, that looks cool. Like, I'll I'll do my release party there. And that kind of spiraled into us getting $100,000 from the shoe company, Timberland, um, to put on shows. So then we were able to source international talent and source re- upcoming talent. So we became a platform for new uh, music um, and that brought in that was our experimental marketing. Like we didn't spend any money on digital advertising. I don't think they still spend any money on advertising, um, but it it was through building the community that we were able to bring awareness to the business and then uh, fill the spaces of the co working space. So community was community's key for anything. Yeah
0: yeah community is the base of everything but especially here you talk about experimental marketing but east work is a co-working space so the primary objective was probably not to to seek like entertainment uh, or you know to create revenues from entertainment but the opportunity just popped up and you were able to seize it right
1: yeah we just honestly at the time we were all young. We opened East Room in 2014 or 15, like early 2015. Co-working wasn't a thing in Toronto. WeWork wasn't here. There was the only co-working space I believe at the time was CSI. So when we built the space, we knew that we wanted an aspect of small house to it. We knew we wanted that hospitality, high touch. A creative entrepreneurial spirit in the in the business. And at the same time, we the guys were 24 and 26, and I was 21, 22. So we had no idea what we were doing. So we thought, let's just throw things at the wall, see what sticks. And if it sticks, it sticks, you know, and this, this love style. it. The way that we received the sponsorship from Timberland was we DM'd the guy. Like we're like, hey, you work in Canada for Timberland. Do you want to come buy one of our shows? And he came and he was so impressed. So then he gave us the money to expand.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. And th- this speaks to, you know, the idea that we hold ourselves too much because we overthink things. Exactly.
1: What I did great working for Eastroom was I took every opportunity, I spoke to every person I knew, I tried to activate my entire community with my own business, I think because it's mine. And I don't feel as um, I don't know, you know, you're always you always feel like you're an imposter, right? So I feel like because it's mine, I'm afraid to ask for the same things that 21 year old me did.
0: So let's talk about your business now. You are the founder of Everyday Chemist, which is a cosmetic brand, but you also have your own lab. Where the idea of owning a lab and starting a beauty brand started? Because it it, it sounds to be so far away from the experience you have had as a professional woman.
1: Actually, this goes back to Eastroom. I had all throughout growing, from when we moved to Canada, I started getting eczema. And then when I was uh, in high school, I started getting acne, which got way worse when I was 20. Like by worse, I mean like embarrassingly worse, I, like to the point that sometimes it like stopped me from leaving my house. Um, so then I had to go on an Accutane. And then when I did Accutane, my lips were so dry. They were like being, they were peeling by the hundreds every day. And I tried every lip balm in the market and nothing worked. And my mom was working as a cosmetic scientist at the time. So I ended up asking her to make me something because I was not finding any relief. And for the next eight years after that, I would hand out these little jars like this, these plastic jars with lip balm on it. And I would just hand them out to friends and family. Uh, So when COVID hit, I was like, hey, I've always wanted to build a cosmetic company. I've always wanted to do something with my mom. Let me start the direct to consumer line with zero money, zero experience in e-commerce, zero like, you know, like no experience whatsoever. So I took it, I decided to do it. Um, And at the same time, I was also taking courses uh, for human design thinking uh, through IDEO, um, a partnership that they did with Acumen Academy. Um, And part of the courses that I was taking, they were like, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, you should diversify your what you're investing in. So you, you know, if things go wrong, you have another uh, opportunity. So I was like, you know what, why don't I start another company? Because I you know that I also don't have experience in <laughs> which is helping other entrepreneurs like myself develop great product and I'm so grateful that that happened because EC Studios has become our main business now, where we help entrepreneurs. That's our business is twofold. EC Studios functions as r and uh, studio where uh, we develop, we support small batch manufacturing, and we also support any design or copywriting or anything that our brands may need. And then from uh, the direct to consumer side, Everyday Chemist has kind of taken a thigh step, where it's become our proof of concept. And with Everyday Chemist, we only release products that. We believe have made a significant uh, change in the market, whether form or function. So with lip grease or lip balm, we believe from a function perspective, it's the best that's out there uh, for healing and moisturizing and all those things. And then for a silky water, it's a unique format. It's half oil, half water doesn't really exist in the uh, industry the way that we've done it. So that's kind of our thesis there.
0: I feel like whatever crosses your mind, this is something that you can do. So you have like this strong self-confidence or this strong self-belief that you can achieve whatever you set your mind to.
1: It's both. Like it's, I don't know how to explain it because it's like that exists, but then there also exists this like, I'm not good enough. And I think that feeling of not being good enough is what also creates this, i am you know it's it me and my therapist always talk about this it's like it's two sides of the same coin you know it's it's two extremes i'm trying to find balance because i do live in these extremes um it's both like it's like i am great and i'm gonna do the greatest things in the world and then the other part is like i'm never gonna get anywhere like i might as well just give up today so it's like you go be it's very frustrating having to navigate but
0: i think what you are describing is just like the roller coaster of an entrepreneur because like <laughs> i feel the same and i'm sure like a lot of entrepreneurs listening to us <laughs> can relate to this where one day you feel like you are on top of your game you are the best you are going to move mountains you have the best idea in the world and 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 everything and the following day you're crying yourself out you don't know you don't know what's happening and you don't feel like you are capable of doing anything and and the following day again, you back at it again.
1: I mean, yeah, it's a universal experience. I think whether you're an entrepreneur or you're just an employee, I I deal with this. You know, we hire young females mostly, especially in the area that we're kind of working in. There's a lot of females that are interested in. So we get to work with really talented young females and they all feel like they're not good enough and i see that from them and then i also see that from my mother who's an expert at what she does she thinks she's not good enough and i'm like does anybody feel like they're good enough wow so that's interesting yeah.
0: yeah yeah this is a this is an internal battle that we have to fight with ourselves
1: yeah which and that's why i you know i i like to mentor a lot and we a big part of what we do is we give back in terms of giving discounts to women entrepreneurs or giving opportunities to female students Um, and something that I always tell them and tell my mom and tell anybody around me and tell myself is it's a choice at the end of the day not feeling good enough and feeling like you could you're great but you could be better they're the same they're the same actually just a different way of looking at the same thing so you know you could wake up and be like I just want to be better and that's that's great. That's that's a positive way of looking at the world. When you feel like you're not good enough, you're already putting yourself at a de- deficit. So you're not you're you're stuck in a hole. So I always try to tell them, you know, it's it's just the way that you look at the world that really changes your experience of it.
0: Very true. Change your perspective on things and it will change the way you see the world indeed. Something that we haven't talked about, going back to your immigrant journey is what do you feel is the biggest challenge that you
1: have faced honestly a lot (laughs) um i feel like i'm trying to like find words for it but you know i never i could never go skiing i could never my grammar is not great it's still not great i don't speak a single language properly whether that's albanian english or italian that i speak um slightly um it's i feel like you as an immigrant you're kind of this like soul without a home you're always in one place always you're missing home no matter where you're going um so it feels it feels like this i don't know it really defines your who you are as a person um and also you know not having money and having just like a lot of my friends that grew up here at least they're starting from a place where. Their parents have, you know, they've built the building blocks for them to go ahead and do other things. I feel like not having money and also my parents didn't have time to, you know, talk about philosophy after dinner because they were working or they didn't have time to bring me to piano class because they didn't have time. So it's, they didn't have money to afford it. So I feel like, I'm, you know, I missed out on a lot of things because we didn't have the resources. And then also I, I'm missing out on a lot of things because I always feel homesick.
0: 100%. The last question I I like to ask all my guests is, what would you like to be remembered for?
1: Oh, wow, that's, you did not prepare me for this one. I don't, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because, of course, working in the cosmetic industry, it is, it's an industry of cents and dimes. People are, you know, looking at numbers and it is definitely a scent game. And I don't want to play in that world. I want to build great product for consumers. And that's kind of what I want to be remembered for is that no matter what I do, it's done with intention and it's done with integrity because I feel like as an entrepreneur, those lines can get blurred really quickly if you want to succeed. And I don't want that to be my life. I'd rather do things with integrity and intention and create great products rather than be successful if those are like the two choices i have
0: we are seeing it quite a lot recently especially uh, for the for the successful gurus and successful people who have built their empire or success out of the instagram which is something different but my point when it comes to integrity is now it's falling all apart because you know you can this is not sustainable like being fake or pretending or, you know, scamming people or just not being, not doing things with a good intention. Yes, you may win a lot in the short term, but yeah. in the long term, it will always fall apart. Uh,
1: I don't know. It's hard. It's hard because I, I would like to, I, you know, I'm a big believer that most people are good and good wins. But it's not always the case, unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. there's... uh Unfortunately, yeah, we're we're at the mercy of greater forces beyond our control. So we can only get ahead as far as, you know, we we can uh, by being great, by being good. But I think, you know, being intentional and being like, don't know i'm hoping that 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 matters and that's something it does yeah it does
0: matter yes it does and we need more people like you otherwise the world would be a sad place even though that is not really (laughs) wonderful wherever you go but yeah we need more people like you
1: maybe a piece of advice for everybody out there that's an entrepreneur um when you're when you fail just keep going i think failure is a part of it so i think uh being resilient and being consistent is probably the keys to success but it does take a lot of courage and uh, self-belief to do it and sometimes you just have to fake it really
0: that's interesting you know because i often say like don't fake it until you make it because it's not sustainable
1: i don't know because sometimes i do feel like i have to be delusional to believe in myself in the way that I do when things are not panning out the way that I wanted them to. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you trick your brain of not seeing the not remaining in the bad. So you're like, I'm actually great. I'm going to do this. It's OK. Like and also, I think a lot of the fake it till you make it has to do with becoming that person. You're not faking it. You're just becoming the person you want to be before you're there, you know?
0: Yeah. From an introspection perspective yes i feel like the way i see fake it until you make it is more like you know pretending like towards other people that you are someone that you are not rather than your perspective which is like tricking your mind and you know having positive self-positive talk to say like oh but you can do it you are doing it and you have what it takes to making it happen so it's, yeah. it's
1: a different perspective yes. yeah the world is how you look at it
0: yes exactly thank you so much flavia Thank you so much,
1: Doreen. I'll see you soon.